from the frozen lands of Minnesota. Two adventurers, Adam and usually Dave, battle the harshest internet connections to bring you another episode of the Digital Soup Podcast. Their opinions are unqualified, but the conversations are good. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 193 of the Digital Soup Podcast. It's a big one today. It's another super review. But before we get to that, we got some great questions. And joining me, as always, to help answer all of the questions that you didn't ask, is my good friend, Adam. How are you doing, man? The year is 1917. <laughs> I'm ready right. to talk about 1917. I know. And I've been excited to watch this since uh, before it came out and, and <laughs> finally got the chance to do it for the super review here. And yeah. we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But indeed, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's going good, though. Yeah. No, nah, not too bad. I, I took a page out of your book this week. And yeah. um, you, you said you, you shared with me some art you had made. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try my hand at this nonsense. Crayon stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to see what I can do. And I, I've never painted in my life. Well, I won't say in my life, but since like elementary school art class, basically. And thought, let's give it a shot. Really oh, thank you. Yeah, I did. I thought, I'm going to try this Northern Lights kind of a scene with some silhouetted Bob Ross happy trees. And mm -hmm. had to uh, enlist the help of my daughter because she had some, like a fan brush and stuff that lets you make <laughs> those trees super easy. So she's like, paints. yeah, you just do this and this and this. I was like, awesome. Let's try it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Easy peasy. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, it fun was outlet. fun. I think I'll definitely do another one. I've, you know, I put a frame on mine, but not like yours where, you know, you use like, I think you're saying what, one by threes or something. Because yeah, both these paint. I had. Yeah. And both of these for listeners, I know you can't see them, but they're uh, painted on wood with a wood frame around it. But for me. I, I knew the frame was going to be mostly decorative. You know, I wasn't going to need it. And mm -hmm. mine's a little smaller than yours. And so, you know, those, I think you can just, I think they just call them lats or whatever, but basically the like tall stakes that you get, they're like four feet tall for like in a garden. They're mm -hmm. real thin, like a half inch yeah. thick, maybe that's yep. all I used for my frame. I mitered it up and cut a frame no, to the right good. size and, and stained that. And then, uh, get got that it all rustic done. look. Yeah, I, I dug it, and I think uh, playing with colors and these kinds of scenes like that would be a little bit of fun as long as I can keep any detailed stuff basically silhouetted where <laughs> it doesn't have to be detailed. Yeah. I think any painting, if you look really close at it, you're going to go, oh, yeah. that's how they did that. You know, it's never going to look as good until right. you take a step back and look at it as the big picture. <laughs> exactly. Your whole composition. Exactly. But, but yeah, anyway, by and large, it was fun. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Good to good to try something new. Well, that's old. right. Inspired. Try yeah. something old. Right. Try something old. Painting. <laughs> <laughs> old milk. <laughs> oh, no. I'll pass have on that. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried stomach illnesses? Oh. Maybe you need some soldering. Have you tried some bubonic plague? <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. 
So the government reveals that one species of animal isn't from Earth, and it's an anth- it is in fact an alien. Mm. What animal do you think it is? Oh boy, I've got my answer right off the top of my head already. Hit Dolphin. yours, because I'm thinking. Yeah, hit it. Dolphins. They're gray. They're intelligent. They're. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've got like their own language. <laughs> yeah. A they slow goat. <laughs> I can't do a, I, like the, the dolphin chatter. <laughs> ch- yeah, I can't do that either. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just, sorry, internet. Yeah. Dolphin's a great sad. answer, though. Wow, yeah. I didn't think of that. They, I, they, I was they trying sa- to. They save humans sometimes. and Yeah. And sometimes cool. gang up on them and just murder stuff. Yep, exactly. Just like yeah. alien would. Boy, that's, I don't know if I can beat that answer because I was trying to think of some of these, like, I, I'm not pulling names right now, but some of these weird creatures that they don't look like they should be real. Like we talked about a few weeks back now, it's been a while, these, um, when we did the cryptids episode, the mm-hmm. those one kind of bats that are real big, but they look like a horse face or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. yep. You know, stuff like that that's just really weird. And I thought, well, maybe something like that. But yeah, dolphins, because of the intelligence, boy, I don't know. I think I have one other answer. Yeah, hit it. Which is going to be the, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. Um, It's the little water bears. What do they call those things? Water bears? Yeah. Have you ever heard of the water bear? No. I think you're, I think you're making stuff up. Water bear. Okay. I got to look up the actual name. Tardigrade. Tard- I still haven't heard of it. So a tardigrade, look up, look it up on Google. This is fascinating stuff. It's a tardigrade is also known as a water bear or a moss piglet, and these are these eight-legged little micro animals that can almost basically oh. withstand a nuclear explosion. Hmm. There's a YouTube video that pops up right away, and the title is "Tardigrades: Chubby, Misunderstood, and Not Immortal." <laughs> and for a second, it, I thought they were talking about me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, I checked all the boxes on that one. <laughs> so, yeah, these things look like the, uh, they look like a little kind of caterpillar deal, but they, um, they can even withstand minus 328 Fahrenheit or highs of over 300 degrees Fahrenheit, according to the Smithsonian Magazine. Oh, really? They can survive radiation, boiling liquids, massive amount of pressures up to six times the pressure of the deepest parts of the ocean, and even the vacuum of space. They might not. They might actually be aliens. Jeez, no, yeah. But no, that's it's uh, <laughs> it, if you've never heard of a water bear or a tardigrade, mm-hmm. they're creepy little, fascinating, microscopic little creatures. You got to check it out. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures. These are fascinating. Yeah, between the two, I still think dolphins is maybe the best answer. Yeah. Because they're they're Me like too. people size, you know, oh, not people size. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they think they're people. Yeah, they're they're not a microscopic organism. I guess is what I'm getting no. at. Now, since we're talking about animals, I want you to guess what animal this is. I'm going to read this. This is an advertisement. You can send away okay. for a free book on this. Okay. Okay. So, the new wonder animals from Syria. Often called toy bears, delightful pets. Everyone wants them. Laboratories need thousands. Clean, odorless, raise anywhere, profitable and interesting. Send name and address for big free picture book to 1600 Basel Street, Mobile, Alabama. From Syria? Yeah. What kind of bear? 
often called toy bears. Toy bear. Yep. Laboratories need them. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone wants them, according to this ad. Well, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) This is a. I follow this Twitter account. It's I can't can't remember what it's called, but they they put up all kinds of like old advertisements and like book and magazine covers and stuff. It's really really a fun Twitter follow. Um, this is an old advertisement from like the thirties or something or forties. I don't know what it was, um, about raising hamsters, hamster farming, <laughs> toy bear. Yeah. Gulf hamstry is the name wow. of the company back then. I'm, I don't doubt they're still around, but yeah, well, that that's makes how sense now that you say it, that's how they were trying to sell hamsters. Get them. Everybody needs them. Raise them. They're delightful pets and you, you can farm you hamsters. One and you need one. <laughs> I saw this and shared it with uh, with a friend of the show, Vinny, and a few people in a a Discord group. I'm in over there. Some all all those awesome maker people that that are uh, doing awesome things. They invited me in. I, I joined them on a Zoom call they do every Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, a couple weekends back. And so because I participated in the Zoom call, I got to be a part of their uh, their private Discord server, which is very fun. Some super talented people in there, but. Vincent made a joke recently on because we make that, you know, he, he's just interested in hearing, you know, kind of what other people are passionate about. And he made a joke that, heck, I don't care if it was a hamster farmer, I'd, I'd love to talk to them and find out, you know, why they're passionate (laughs) about it. And I saw this old ad popped up in my Twitter feed today from this, this one Twitter follow, uh, pulp, pulp covers or something like that. And I just started laughing. I had to share that out, but I've never heard a hamster explained that way. It's a Syrian toy bear. Yeah. Syrian toy bears, clean and odorless. Although I might, uh, I might debate that because I've known a few people that have had hamsters and they're a rodent and they are most definitely not clean or odorless. There is a smell. Yes. Most definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's say time froze for one day exactly, Mm -hmm. and you're the only person unaffected, and you can freely wander around and do whatever you like. Yeah. What do you do in those 24 hours? Now, let's preface this by saying any good ideas that come out of this for a a TV show or movie, uh, remember it was us that coined it. Yeah, we need the rights. Yeah. Now, this one, I I saw this question earlier, and I thought, you know, this is up our alley. Good discussion. Kind of daydreaming about a what if, and then- Threw it in there, went about my day, and I've been thinking about it. Man, there's, I don't know what, you know, because even if time freezes, does that mean like all security cameras stop too? Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I struggle with this question because if time's frozen, how are you traversing it? Right. A, A better question would be everything stops moving. Well, yeah, because you think about it, it's like, okay, time is frozen. And you think, oh, it'd be great. Let me go to Disneyland and cut in line and ride all the ride. Well, you can't. Everything's frozen. Yeah. But you're the only person unaffected. So maybe everything else is working. You just have to figure out a way to start the ride and hop on. It sounds like a nightmare. I don't know. But I I think there would be things I would would do. And, And the biggest things for me is I would probably go explore places with a camera that I couldn't normally get to. Just because maybe it's private property. Like I think up here, the mine properties and stuff where they've got some amazing vistas you can see, but you can't get close enough to get a really good picture because it's dangerous when the mine's operating. You know what I mean? Or yeah, 
maybe there's a really cool like old architecture style building that normally doesn't allow photography and a place like that i'd absolutely go and try and get some photos of it you know just to see it something like that but other than that i mean i i don't want to go start you know i'm sure a lot of people would be like i'm gonna go knock off some banks and make some money and you know all this kind of <laughs> stuff but really time's gonna in 24 hours it's gonna go back boom and you're living essentially you've got an extra day but you don't think they're going to notice everything was cleaned out and all of a sudden this one person is rich? I mean, I think it smells, like you said, spells a nightmare. I, I think there's only so much a person can do in 24 hours. Sure. Um, maybe get a really good nap in. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be all right. I would, when you, when I you would, wake up and no time had passed and you're, you're fully you're I wonder, could, could we get to from us to Jason in 24 hours? No. Mm. Yeah. That'd be tough. Yeah, I Boy, think that could be a, done. I mean, well, if time's frozen, you can drive as fast as you want. No traffic. True, but I wonder, yeah, deer and stuff. Oh, well, the thing is, though, deer no traffic. Frozen. No traffic, but you'd have cars just randomly stopped. You'd be dodging all over. Motorcycle. Yeah, maybe. But I was just thinking, like, if you could get there and back in 24 hours, a friend like Jason or someone like that, I'd go, like, shave a reverse mohawk in his head and shave off his eyebrows and then go home. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Just something funny, you know, that, that not, not permanent, you, just a, a funny prank. You could pull off the greatest like supernatural, you know, thing where yeah, suddenly out of nowhere, this, <laughs> this huge stack of KFC chicken buckets filled the street. You know, I, who knows? <laughs> you could do anything. Yeah. You, you know, one thing that just came to mind, what I would honestly do, I, hopefully this would happen in the fall, like late October, mid-November, something like that. (laughs) I I would, I'm not even joking, I would hit the woods, and if everything's frozen, I'd spend every second of those 24 hours just canvassing area everywhere I could to find the biggest buck I could find in my hunting area. (laughs) Okay. I wouldn't kill it while he's frozen. That would be unethical. You wait till one second after. I would set up a stand and be waiting in that stand. So when time unfroze, he'd be sleeping there unaware of me 100%. And then when he gets up to go, the hunt is on. Or you could go into a big city and find a crime in progress and stop and take, it. I, stop it. I could. Or you could get that deer, you know. You know, whatever. the deer. I don't have a big city, you know. <laughs> I think oh, it'd be cool. You know, I don't even know if I'd hunt it thinking about it. Cause even, even setting up over it, I'd want to just know where he is. Just go then, snap its neck. No, then I could go, you know, days or weeks later or the following year, whatever. And, and know like, okay, this is where he likes to bed or whatever else. Getting that knowledge. I probably would just go like take selfies with it and be like, dude, we got this buck here. You don't believe me? And so <laughs> I could show all my family, but I wouldn't actually kill it. I don't think. Actually, that would be. That would be the the ultimate thing is to just record your entire day on a GoPro. Yeah. <laughs> and then post it. Try and find any celebrities you could. Go do just the most ridiculous stuff like uh, I was uh, running well this would I don't know I don't even want to see that in a video. I was going to say streaking down uh the center of US <laughs> Bank Stadium. You One know, day the, Dave streaking. But I don't want to well I don't want to I don't want to see myself naked let alone anyone else but you know Find, find, you know, things like that where you're standing on the 50 yard line in the middle of target or not target field, but uh, U S bank <laughs> stadium or the Viking stadium or something cool like that. 
That'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. That was a tough question because, yeah, it's it's interesting. It reminds me of a, a sci-fi story I, I read on the my other podcast once, where it was yep. everything was frozen, and it was like this moment that was caught, but none of the matter none of the matter could actually move because it was all locked in place. Which story episode was that again? This is actually it's appropriately titled "The Day Time Stop Moving." So, guys, head over to yesterdayscifi.com. Check yeah. out episode six if you want to hear how an author from 1956. Okay. This is the vision of what would happen if the if time froze. Nice. Yeah, and that's definitely, you should link that up in the show notes too for people because if they're not already, they really should be listening um, to Yesterday's Sci-Fi because you're, you're doing some awesome stories there and I decided to ride your coattails. I'm way behind on these too, by the way. For <laughs> a month since my last episode, it's sad. Well... Things have been busy, you know, that's now how it goes. You can write some coattails, though. What do you got? Well, I, and we're going to have to change it, you know, in the near future here. We're going to have to update our, our little ad break because since we last spoke, I've made it official that I've I've kind of evolved Adventures in Creativity. Instead of talking just about creativity every week, I'm now celebrating storytelling because I, I had some stuff. You can go listen to my reasons over there if you want. Uh which is, I'm not going to get into that here, but we're going to do much like uh, what you're doing, only I'm not going to focus just on sci-fi. We're going to talk about just kind of uh, curating and celebrating all of these old stories and um, just, you know, discussing storytelling and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're not just telling stories. You're you're talking about the creativity behind it. Some of, yeah, some of that. And, you know, a lot of the episodes will be telling a story, but where. That's where, you know, what you and I do will be a little different because I will break down a little bit of the story elements before I tell it. Break it down. Read the story, give some thoughts after it. I might have episodes where I break down a film or storytelling aspects there and, you know, different things like that. Sure. And uh, so I've, I've rebranded Adventures in Creativity into what is now called Faded Words. Faded Words. Yeah, because to me it was like these are stories from, like you said, 30s, 40s, 50s. And they're at the edge of basically fading out of existence. And I wanted, this is just a way, like much like what you're doing, we can kind of bring them back and share them with a new audience. Bring it on back. Yeah. Yep, exactly. These these authors deserve to be to be heard. Their stories need to be retold. It's good yeah. stuff. Anyway, what movies can you watch continuously without getting tired of it? Mm. Boy, there's a lot. I, I'd Continuous? Say, like over and over? Well... I take that to me not like it just ends and then you hit play again. I don't take that to me. I, I don't I don't take this question that way. I take it more in the realm of these are movies that I will put in once at least once a year. These are if, ones that you can easily revisit. Yep. Anytime I revisit yep. it, I'll always sit and watch it. Yep. Without being annoyed. And so oh. first for me, I mean, I think of Empire Strikes Back as one of them. Sure. Clerks is another. Mm-hmm. Mall Rats uh, and Clerks too, really. Those three. Um, and you know, I, I know one we're going to probably both agree on is that thing you do. Oh, great movie. Yeah. And there's so so many I'm thinking of right now. I'm going to blast through my list really quick off the top of my head, because that thing you do is on there. I'm one of the strange ones that likes a knight's tale with, uh, Heath Ledger, even though it's got a modern soundtrack. I know it's kind of weird, but I, I always like that show. Um, but that's kind of at the end of my list. Um, the back to the future trilogy. I always enjoyed, but it's particularly the first one. Um, Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course. 
which is fantastic. Never get sick of that one. Yeah, uh, RoboCop. No, I'm just kidding. Not RoboCop. <laughs> RoboCop. <laughs> you guys like RoboCop? Yeah. Heck no, yeah. I, I haven't seen that since I was a kid. Goonies, Indiana Jones. These are mm-hmm. these are Karate Kid. These are the movies that every time I will watch it. If it's on TV, I'll stop. Even if I own it. Yeah. Like, oh, I better watch this part. Right. I don't know why I sound like Bill Clinton right now. <laughs> I better watch this movie. <laughs> I did not rewatch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about uh, recent movies? Something real oh, recently that uh, Avengers: Infinity War. I've seen like four times. Not it doesn't Endgame? get old. Endgame. I've seen three times. Okay, yeah, I've but, seen uh, all of those a couple times. But Infinity War, I, I just love the pacing of it from start to finish. Just amazing. Yeah, Endgame's got a few slower spots in it for me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as far as the the more modern ones, yeah, that's Infinity fantastic. War. That's a yeah. That's. Well, now there's there's TV series I'll rewatch over and over. Vikings, I'm on the second run of Office. Yeah. Parks and uh, Rec. Parks I'm and Rec is good. Yeah. I'm uh, one. Oh, shoot. I just lost the. Oh, Knives Out. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh, you need to see it. That's one, a modern, one of the most recent movies that I could say I could watch over and over. Okay. Because it's, yeah, it's very good. Well, there's some quick recommendations we accidentally just did. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. How about that. So. I'm going to hit you with this next one. All right. So what cartoon character had the best character development, and why do you say that? Ooh. Cartoon character with the best. And this is tough because when you think of most cartoon characters, mm. there's not really always an obvious character development. I mean, you've got your classics like a bugs bunny or you know looney tunes they're not really developing in character no they just are the character um, yeah tom and jerry the old old classic sure. they don't really develop you know so marlin from finding nemo comes to mind as far as like he starts off that's the just, dad yeah he just starts off as a naive fish yeah he's got all these kids and all of a sudden he's he goes through some major trauma all of us all but one of his kids are basically murdered and right wife. And then one day he loses his son mm-hmm. and he goes on this journey to find him and, and, and essentially finds himself. Well, no, have you but, ever seen the, the, I can't remember if we talked about it here, maybe even the um, theory that the whole film of finding Nemo didn't actually happen, that it's just the dad's. I think we've talked about that. Yeah. Where it's just him coping with the loss of his entire family. <laughs> That's just terrible. That is dark. That's really too dark. But at the end of it, I mean, he, he doesn't trust Nemo to do anything. You know, yep. he, he's overprotective. And he realizes that he has to let go and life has to go on. Yeah. And that that's, Pixar is really good at character development. You think about Carl from Up. Yeah. Um, in, in the end, in the end of that movie. Yeah, that's the, what I was just thinking. Was the joy up. emotion from, True. from from the inside out one yeah. who finally realizes that a lot of emotions have to be mixed. They are masterful at this right. stuff. Well, even Toy Story, every one of those oh, films, yeah. those characters are having massive character Shrek. arc developments. Yeah, <laughs> Shrek's Shrek. not Pixar, but DreamWorks. DreamWorks, yeah. So here's yeah. one that's more... How to Train Your uh, Dragon. Oh, there, there's some good character development. Yeah. How to Train Your Dragon. I'm going to give you a little fact here. That's a sneak about our super review coming up. Roger Deakins, who was a cinematographer in 1917, the film we're about to discuss in a little bit here, mm-hmm. he was actually brought in as a cinematographer on the How to Train Your Dragons trilogy. Oh. Even though it's an animated film. Sure. 
because they wanted a real film approach to how they how they quote unquote shot this animated feature. Nice. Interesting. But yeah, here's here's a character from episodic cartoons that came to mind because it's one I, I watched when it was live, you know, when they were first releasing it in every butthead. No, well, no, no, not them. But I watched it. I've been watching it again with my youngest. And if you remember the Avatar, the last airbender cartoon, never watched it. Oh, man. From what I understand, the movie is terrible. Haven't seen it. Have no interest in it. But that cartoon series is fantastic. And not only the main character, Aang, but the, the two best friends, you know, that discover, you know, kind of find him in this block of ice and that they become his friends and his teammates i guess you'd say for lack of a better term there is a ton of character development with those characters cool yeah that's so that's is there like a story arc with that one yep it basically um in that go ahead i think with anything where there's a story arc and a lot of that like manga stuff um, yeah or, you know, the, the anime style things where they have an overarching story that allows for that growth. Whereas yeah. like Looney Tunes is just like, well, even <laughs> it's different, even like He-Man or something like that, you know, doesn't really allow for a lot of character growth. Those characters mm-hmm. don't change. The battles happen, the stuff happens, plot goes on, but not a lot yeah. of character growth. I was even thinking just now about like the Ninja Turtles, the original cartoon. Cowbunga. Yeah, and there's not really any major character growth or development. Nope. You know, they just kind of are who they are and the story unfolds, but Yep. Well, I think we're seeing more character development as animated films are are treated more with more seriousness and almost like a regular movie or a TV series. <laughs> Don't tell Jason, he still thinks animated oh, films are I know he does. Child's yeah, those are for kids. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a grown-up. I don't yeah. need to watch a drawing. <laughs> Jar Jar Binks was animated, but his character development sucked. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't even get into CGI because Thanos. <laughs> they won't count. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Thanos. You guys yeah. with your Thanos was had a point. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right. <No>. So <laughs> the voice in your head is a better singer than you because it doesn't need to breathe. That being said, what are some of your favorite artists... I'm sorry, favorite songs to belt out while road tripping. Yeah. I'm going to be embarrassed with this one, probably. You are? I'll, I'll sing about anything I know. Yeah. Anything that, that I hear that I know, I'll, I'll sing loud, proud in the car. But there are some that it's just like uh, they're much more fun to sing, even if you sing it poorly. Like I'm, I'm thinking of like some classic Bon Jovi. Like, I, was, I was literally just thinking about living on a prayer. Yeah, and I was trying thinking, to hit that note. Whoa! Right, and I was just thinking like "Dead or Alive" is one that's just oh, yeah. so fun to sing. Won't it? Yeah, I, I was thinking about "Aha" and "Take on Me" and some of those. Yeah, a lot of '80s songs. See, belt out the ballads. I, I've got a lot of like '90s rock and grunge too, because there's a lot of like Pearl Jam. Um. You know, like your even flow alive, Jeremy. Uh, there's a song they do off that same album, I think, called Black. That's mm. really good. It's a slower jam. Um, just yeah, there's a lot of that '90s rock because that's that's kind of the way my voice is. Even though that I don't, I feel like I don't sing it that well. But that's 
the type of voice I have is that more rock. I'm not a pure singer singer. So, so you're Moroccan. Yeah, more more rocking. More rocking. Right on, right on. Yeah. But I'm not afraid to belt out anything that I hear that a star spangled banner. I'll try to hit those notes in the yeah. car. Don't stop me. Oh, I'm hey, I'm not afraid in the car. As long as it's like if it's me, my wife, and my kids, I'm fearless. If I'm with my dad or something and it's just him and I, I'll sing if it's something I know well, mm, but yep. it's got to be in a comfort zone. Like I get a little self-conscious. <laughs> know your audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if like you and I were hanging out, I probably wouldn't sing hardly at all because you're just way better singer than me. So I'd feel ah, stupid, but nonsense. I'd be air drumming instead. So <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> so this next question I'm putting in here, you can't really read this one. No, I can't because it's got my name in it. And it I don't, does. I don't it's, like it. So what, what I want to know is, is Nickelback really that terrible? And the second part of this is, why do you, Adam, love them so much? Well, for starters, <laughs> I just can't help it. No, I no, I, I know you're not a huge Nickelback I, fan. I just put no, that I'm in not, there. No, I'm not, but I never had a problem with them. I know a lot of a lot of the complaint has always been that this is just your your corporate sellout band like like any other band right. is never sold out they're all yep. they're all signed and, and making money and everything yeah um i don't know how they became the most hated band but i mean it's i mean maybe they're not but it sure seems that way like they've it's always a joke like oh you listen to nickelback right and that's why i asked this and not not because i'm a huge nickelback fan myself but i was thinking about this recently because anytime you see someone yeah, anytime someone says like, oh, crappiest bands ever, well, how much Nickelback do we have to listen? You know, it's always Nickelback jokes. And it's, you know, I've made my share of them. We've done them here on this show, you know, even. But then yep. I started thinking about like, you know, they, they've they actually, their singles, quite a few of them, I really enjoy. Like, I'm not a huge fan, but I don't, I don't necessarily mind them. Like, there's some I'll turn off, like how you remind me in that photograph song or whatever. But some of their other ones that were singles, but yet not huge hits. Like there's a song called, I think it's called Too Bad. Um, that's the one I'm thinking of. It's about a about a guy that's like the dad is beating the mom or something. And it's kind of a, they're standing up for themselves and, you know, getting out of there or whatever's happening. So kind of a cool message where it's like they're not going to take his abuse anymore and it just it's a rock and tune granted it's very formulaic mm -hmm. but sometimes you just need some good old cheeseball rock music to just have on in the in the background so a lot of i, I was always annoyed with like the rock star song like we're all get skinny because we just don't want oh me. yeah like, yeah you know what I'd be the fattest rock star out there. Like, oh, oh, I can afford anything. Give me another. Not only burger. that, but you know that you're eating nothing but like uh, fast food and takeout and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, I, I'd, I'd be like meatloaf on a the lowest point of his career when he was like 900 pounds or whatever. You know, <laughs> I just loaf. I listened to a, a kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sidetracked, but similar to that. I listened to a recent episode of Smodcast with uh, Kevin Smith, and he was interviewing, he had on as a guest, his good friend, Ethan Supley, or Supley. He's yep. He was Willem in, uh, yep. William yep. in Mallrats. And 
He's for any of you that don't know, he's got a podcast called American Glutton, and the dude has gone from being literally 500 plus pounds, like, like the dude is just now. big, and yeah, he's just ripped. And he was talking about that's that's what happened to him. Like he got in, his first acting gig was on like Boy Meets World or something, mm-hmm. and then he did Clerks, and then he started. I mean, he's he's done stuff for like Scorsese. I mean, he's been in everything. And had a really nice career, but craft services, or as they called it, snack, snack valley, or something like that. Um, that's what what really put him in a bad place as far as his weight and his health. He was always a bigger guy, but hmm. all of that craft services, the free food, they're constantly just feeding you garbage sugar stuff just to keep your energy up, and then he'd go. He, the first time he had money. So then when he wasn't on set, he'd go through drive throughs that were all over nearby and just be pounding food constantly. And yeah, it's funny because yeah, these rock stars, you'd think, yeah, yep. they'd be, you're skinny, but that's because of the drugs more than anything, you know? But uh, so that said, honestly, I think Nickelback just get, they just get a bad rap because there yeah. are so many terrible bands out there. I, I just including wish, including mine. Well, but, <laughs> but I mean, mine too. There, there's, Oh, the songwriting's bad. Other sellouts. Like, you know, to, I, have you heard the "My Humps" by Ugh, Black yeah, Eyed Peas? There is milky, so milky many cocoa puff, milky milky rye. Right? How is that a good lyric? There are so many worse songs and bands oh. than the Nickelback. And <laughs> this isn't this isn't to say we're like Nickelback love fest here. But no. the whole point here is that I'd love to go back and see like the moment in time. Because when they first came out, they, they were, were very big. popular. Yeah, yeah, very popular, very successful, and it everything turned on them in a hurry. Oh, you remind me. Yeah, and I don't know if it was just too many hits in a short period of time or well, what, but I'd love to know like how the Nickelback hate started. Well, I, I've got an article up as we were talking about this. Okay. First of all, I want to read this this thing they put in from David Grohl. Mm. Who, who jumped on the bandwagon and this is this is a uh, a supposed tweet from david grohl if you play a nickelback song backwards you'll hear messages from the devil even worse if you play it forwards you'll hear nickelback <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's just people jumping on the bandwagon <laughs> it's pretty good though dave grohl <laughs> so here's what this article says from the observer.com it says from 2002 to 2004 a show called tough crowd with colin quinn aired on comedy central mm-hmm uh, which I don't know if you remember that show. I watched it once in a while, but it was yeah. a panel comedy show where four comedians discussed topical news stories, blah, 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 blah. Um, one promo ran during all, almost all of Comedy Central's commercial break for months. It was a clip from the show that featured comedian Brian Poson responding to a prompt about a study published in May of 2003 that tied violent lyrics to violent behavior. He famously said, no one talks about the studies that show that bad music makes people violent. But listening to Nickelback makes me want to kill Nickelback. Oh, jeez. So as the story goes, this caught on, and within a few weeks, people were just walking around mocking Nickelback, and the joke had the same allure of those typically made about Creed. Yeah. <laughs> but this one Creed is one, over though. and over. Yeah, Scott Stapp. I would throw Creed under that bus far more often <laughs> and readily than I would throw Nickelback under. With arms wide open. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I used to like Creed. I, you know, I had their, their first big album. It was a little heavier, a little more rock, but as they had into their second or third, whatever albums, it just got weird and like, ugh, I couldn't do it. But yeah, it's, I don't know. 
there, there's a, it's a meme now to hate Nickelback. So right, right. Um, I don't hate them. I don't like to listen to a ton of them, but it's not. <laughs> I've heard much worse. So <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> did you ever see that video? Um, of Nickelback in concert and someone, wherever, whatever, wherever they were playing, people were throwing stuff at them. Like you paid to get in here and they threw a brick and hit Chad Kroger in the head. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. All right, we're done. I didn't see that. That's, that's, I'll never understand that. Like, why would you pay money to go into the show just to, just to be a jerk? Oh, exactly. I mean, that happened to Green Day on another stage too. People are throwing stuff. What are you doing? Jeez. Why? Why? Wow. Nickelback brick. <laughs> so the bottom line is Adam has a tattoo on his now. back, says Nickelback for life, and he loves them. <laughs> I just want my Nickelback. <laughs> no, they're they're actually, I mean, everyone's favorite band to make fun of, but I bet you most no. of those people also don't turn them off when they come on the radio. No. They're, they're How You Remind Me song has almost 500 million views on youtube right and that's not counting huge hit spotify apple music amazon music any of these other streaming services people are still listening to this (laughs) public service there's a video on youtube i just typed in nickelback water bottle because i Uh thought that's what they got hit with apparently it was rocks there's a video in here titled nickelback sucking in portugal oh boy and it says, after getting rocks thrown at them for having suck-ass music, Nickelback gets booed off stage. It's like, come on. I just, I the one thing about Nickelback that I will say, I will never understand how the singer, what's his name, Chad Kroger? Yep. How do him and Avril Lavigne end up together when there seems to be a very drastic age difference? Yeah. Maybe there's not. Maybe he's just one of those dudes that looks much older than he really is. But well, how old is he? I don't know, but it always felt like he was about 45 and she was about 22. I, I, I'm not saying that was the case, but it's just such a uh, weird... <laughs> he was born in 74. Who was? Chad. So he is, what, he all? 40... Uh, 46. Well, 45 right now. Yeah. So, so he's not I, that old. That was a good guess, 45. And oh, she wait, no, is, no, 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 74. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm just about to turn 42, and I was born in 78. So he's 45, 46. Yep, yep. And how old is Avril Lavigne? Uh, answering the important questions. Let's she see. was born in the 80s, I'm guessing, probably 88. 84. Okay, oh, she's, so a she's only older. 10 years Yeah, younger. she's a little older than I thought. I guess I always assumed she was. Yeah. Canadians, eh? They got to keep it there. Uh, yeah. Keep it Canadian, as they see. Pure <laughs> maple syrup. She's Canadian French, and he's uh, Canadian Canadian. Canadian Canadian. Mm-hmm. That's Couple up Canadians. by uh, Saskatoon. <laughs> oh, they aren't, they aren't married anymore? I don't know. Like I care, but anyway. <laughs> what is this, a gossip show? Oh, did yeah. you hear Chad Kroger and Avril Lavigne got broken up five years ago <laughs> we're breaking news <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't gonna believe this let's talk about angelina jolie and brad pitt two middle-aged white dudes breaking gossip news in the world of pop culture <laughs> <laughs> yep you heard you can't we're the next tiger beat yeah you may not have heard it here first but we're the ones you'll remember <laughs> that's right all right <laughs> I think it might be time for some recommendations. Let's do it. And now, 
Digital Soup Recommendations. So obviously, I said to check out episode six of yesterday's sci-fi to talk mm-hmm. about the date time stop moving. I'm going to include that in here as a link, but um, my actual recommendation is something else you can listen to for your ear holes. Um, this is an audiobook of The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. And it is from LibriVox, which is this um, kind of public domain um, audiobooks that people have volunteered to record. Right. And I listened to this entire thing from this uh, this reader named David Clark, um, who I think he's British, but he just does spot on like French accents and Italian. And every character in the book has a voice. And it was inspiring to me. <laughs> That's how good of a reader he is. Really? The first several chapters of it, you know, you can kind of hear that he was recording it in his room or right. whatever. Um, but eventually the the audio gets just better and better and better. There are 117 chapters. I think the entire runtime of this is like 54 hours. Of I was going to say, that's a pretty massive novel. It is a big book. And yeah. if you've ever seen the movie Count of Monte Cristo, it is nothing in comparison to how good no. this story is. This is one of those audiobooks that I actually, I was driving, I had to drive somewhere like to go run an errand. I didn't want to shut it off. So I held my phone up to my ear and just kept listening on the way to the store. I, I couldn't stop well, listening to it. it was you know, so they good. do make headphones. No. Earbuds. I didn't have any with me at the time, Dave. Well, Vincent, <laughs> Vinny, if you're listening, I know you are. Remember our uh, oh, discussion yeah, we good. had. See, now that now the things are opening back up, maybe uh, you can hook a brother up. Anyway, no. This is a this is a classic <laughs> a classic by Alexandra Dumas. Yeah, that's very cool. It yeah, that's that's on. What do you say, LibriVox? Awesome story about vengeance. LibriVox. Yeah, it's completely free. You can get the LibriVox app for free. Mm-hmm. Download this. You can put your. It's got a sleep timer. The whole nine yards. This is this is an investment of your time, but yeah. it is so worth it. Right. It is such a good reading and such a good book. Nice. He just does a masterful. I can't recommend it enough. Okay. So so when turn. are you tackling a novel for Can you imagine? That'd be quite an endeavor, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was the best of times. It was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> My voice couldn't hack it. I get about a half hour of, of talking and it starts to go south. I just plow through it. I don't even care. <laughs> good as listeners here can tell anyways this week i'm going to recommend because i know uh, everyone knows as a photographer i'm obviously using paid tools for all my editing i'm I'm a adobe subscription you know lightroom photoshop that kind of stuff but i have found for some really simple basic stuff that you just i don't need to do much i just need to kind of maybe lay out a couple elements together or slap a border on something or you know put a, a simple rough mock draft of like a cutout of something, whatever it is. There's a service called Pixlr, P-I-X-L-R. Uh, it's their online photo editor. Now they have two versions of it. I forget there's there's letters Pixlr X and Pixlr E, I think it is. Both free to use. One of them is made for complete novices. So it's just your most basic functions. The other one has more functionality. It's kind of like a browser-based Photoshop. Now, I am not saying this is going to replace proper photo editing tools for anybody or design tools. Could you tools. replace your editing tools with this? No. <laughs> but oh. I do find I use this, especially if I'm somewhere where I'm not at my computer 
with Photoshop installed or something like that. If I need to just throw something together quick, I can do this from any any computer with a browser. You don't have to sign in. You don't have to do anything. And it's just nice. a super simple, free online photo editor. Works pretty smoothly. A lot of the tools, if you're familiar with Photoshop or Lightroom or any of those things, a lot of the tools are going to work very similar to how you're used to. I mean, you can use layers and um, layers, blending modes and all that kind of stuff. So pretty powerful tool for Excellent. a free online browser-based editor. No doubt. Now, adding on to our Digital Soup Spotify playlist, mm -hmm. I've got a rock tune by a band out of Kentucky called White Reaper. It, no, it's not racist. <laughs> they are a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the name's interesting, though, isn't it? Yeah, you've recommended um, something from them before, I think. I, I think I might have, but I, it might well, have been the song, but we weren't. It might have just been the song. I don't think I've added to the playlist, but I'm adding their their tune officially called Officially adding, right. yeah. Because I, yeah, I was going to say, I remember yeah. talking about White Reaper. And yeah, they're, they're just a garage punk band out of Louisville. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But no, these guys are these guys are good. They they have a, a pretty active uh, Instagram page as well. And um, perfect. Yeah, they've got uh, got quite a few tunes out here. But right. Well, they're, they're signed to Polyvinyl or something like that. Hmm. Or Electra Records. Okay. So like it's Carmen good, Electra good Records. Rock. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bouncy tunes. <laughs> Oh, uh, child. Tunes? Yeah, Carmen Electra, bouncy tunes. Oh, I was thinking about Electra, like Jennifer Garner, the comic oh no, book no, Electra. What he cares? Yeah, not Daredevil <laughs> and Electra. No, Carmen Electra, nineties. Oh, uh, that was nineties model heartthrob. <laughs> it's an old 90s model okay. right right so i i went uh speaking of, you know like you said kind of some uh alternative i went classic alternative with stone temple pilots but this is on an album they put out a hits album uh some time ago i can't remember what the name of it is but it's a version of their very popular song plush but it's an acoustic version stripped down very intimate sounding and it's just it's got such a good groove that i actually I will 10 times out of 10 now, if I hear Plush come on and I want to listen to that song and it's the original version, the rock heavy version, I'll switch it to this mm -hmm. acoustic version because I do. And I feel. Yeah. It's so good. Like good there's stuff. so much more emotion in his voice. It was recorded much later, obviously, than the original. And you can tell that nice. he's, you know, just brings a lot more to it and found a way to freshen up this song that they probably played a million times prior to that. Awesome. Yeah, that, that is a nice, I like hearing a fresh new take from the original mm -hmm. artist on the old material. Right, right. Uh, by the way, I just saw this on Wikipedia. So the band White Reaper, when, the, when these guys that formed the band were 17, they saw an entirely white Grim Reaper prop in a Halloween Express, and that's what they decided to call themselves. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. So if you're wondering what that meant, <laughs> that's where it comes from. Now, we, had, uh, we did have some listener suggestions to add to our playlist. And, we did. you know, our... our our most super of super friends, I think, as far as this playlist goes, especially... He's got three more for us, and I've got to say, I'm I'm slowly becoming very interested as well in this playlist that we've got going for you guys as super friends, because 
you guys have by and large a very chill like mellow vibe on this thing and it's very cool so what did jesse bring for us this week well i'm glad you asked he brought several songs including Mm -hmm. because it's there by michael hedges yep uh anchor by novo amor and a (laughs) Uh, an off-color song with explicit lyrics called Douchebag yeah. <laughs> by Patent Pending. Not a chill tune, so, but it's pretty hilarious. Not a chill tune or not a children's tune. Right, right. So keep those yeah, good, good to have those recommendations. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I know we've had a few times where we've had, you know, multiple people out there sending us songs, and we don't do a good job of, like, reminding people, but... Make sure and, you know, you got some some of your favorite songs or something you've been listening to, let us know because we want to be able to build out that Super Friends playlist as well. Absolutely. And now a word from your sponsors. Hey, Super Friends, as you know, we don't have any fancy sponsors, but we do have some important information for you. So listen up. First, if you want to keep up with everything we're doing here at Digital Soup, including how to find us on social media, all the ways to subscribe, and even how to support the show, head to digitalsouppodcast.com. We appreciate all of your support, including sharing Digital Soup with your friends. But if you want to do more than share, hit that button that says Patreon on the site and help support the show by becoming a Digital Soup Patreon backer. Of course, Dave and I stay busy with our own projects outside of the kitchen as well. Dave is having creativity-fueled discussions designed to motivate, inspire, and encourage you along your own adventures in creativity with the Adventures in Creativity podcast. You'll find him at AICpod.com. And if you're interested in some amazing sci-fi stories from years gone by, I've got you covered with Yesterday's Sci-Fi. These are amazing classic sci-fi stories in an audiobook format. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to YesterdaySciFi.com for all the details. Man, that's a lot, huh? Well, just remember this. DigitalSoupPodcast.com, YesterdaySciFi.com, and AICPod.com. Now then... Thank you again, all of you that are listening, for taking time to join us every week, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) So delightful. (laughs) Jolly good. Dude, let's talk about 1917. Let's get into this. So... It's time for super reviews. Let's let's hit the film kind of the the details, the the nitty-gritty right off the top. Yeah, so what are some if, of those deets about this movie? Yeah, so basically, if you haven't watched it yet, this is a pretty new movie. We will be spoiling it as we talk about this. So please do go watch this before you listen. But if you're just determined to listen to our review of it first or our discussion. Here's what it's about so you have an idea. April 6, 1917. As a regiment assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. This film was released in 2019. Director Sam Mendes and uh, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns, uh, starring Dean Charles Chapman as George McKay, or excuse me, and George McKay. Um, this film, cinematographer, of course, by the my favorite, Roger Deakins. This film is very 
intense, but it is not a war movie. Mm, there was a few tense. Um, where do you want to start it, with this? Yeah, it passed tense. Man, it was, that was in the past. quiet. <sighs> so th- this film opens up like Dave said. So I don't have favorite visual artists or anything like that. I don't. I don't uh-huh. know these things. Cinematographers. Mm. I know what I like, and yeah. I like not shaky cam. And that's exactly <laughs> what I got. Was not shaky cam. Thank you. Want to know the crazy Roger part? Deacons. Sure. This was handheld operated by and large. There were Get some track shots obviously tracking stuff and everything else but there were lots of this film lots of sections yeah, but of this they had film. to use stabilizers and some yeah but but yeah okay. you need to start anyway, getting into your cinematographers i won't lecture you, you start getting that's, into that's, cinematography that's my territory of nerding <laughs> out i guess all right back to the movie yeah yeah um no no no. it's it's cool to nerd out about this stuff because it's it's a lot of a lot of times you're seeing things that i i didn't notice and you already pointed <laughs> out in previous conversations things i'm like right. oh, i didn't see that because that and that's that means that they're that it's working and it's effective right if you don't so, notice it if nothing's jarring right it's cool no and i'm i'm we'll not claiming into- to be an expert but that's what i think gives between you and i such a a cool like view of these films we're watching because I do nerd out on some of that stuff. And then we get that maybe too critical of a viewpoint from me. And then the like pure reaction, like emotional oh, reaction. Yeah. Remember when they took the drugs in uh, dread and yeah. like, I hated how colorful it was. Right. It was so vivid. Driving like, That's me the nuts. effect from the drug. I love it. <laughs> anyway, self-proclaimed expert. Dave has a different view on Not it. Um, an expert. <laughs> So 1917, it's a British war film, like you said, directed and co-written and produced by Sam Mendes. And uh, actors George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman are the are the main characters here. Mm-hmm. And um, they did a really good job. So oh, yeah. it, basically, these guys are are brought in. They're they're in the trenches, mm-hmm. and they're they're at this the these lines up against the Germans, and they're brought in, and they're they're given this mission. It's like we've got this intelligence that says. If um, if we're gonna attack over at this front, mm-hmm. we're gonna get completely wiped out. But they don't know it, and well, all of our lines are down. Yeah, because the Germans had retreated. Yep. And so this other this other group of these sixteen hundred men, the leader of that group, the the general or whatever, thought that he had him on the run, and that this was the this was the way. This is World War One, where you know the the big knock on World War One films up to this point by and large is that it was just bloody massacre where these people would hide in these trenches and then they'd run out and fight over a few feet of land and then yep. just get massacred and get back to their trenches and expand a little but you know this thing went on for years crazy crazy yeah and so when the germans retreated they thought we got them on the run we can strike a blow now while it was a trap yep and so in order to expedite the the message they decided to just send these two guys yeah you know you're okay just you two gonna get get out there and and get this message delivered right and once they get started they start moving through the trenches and everything and they start making their way out they encounter a lot of resistance even from within their own you know ranks on stuff um there was a lot of uh um i don't know what you want to call it not uh i was anxious i had some anxiety watching some of this stuff just because you don't know what's around the corner they don't know if the Germans are going to be there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I have to give props to these actors because from what I understand, they rehearsed this 
months and months and months. And the amount of stamina it had to have taken to record this, to track and do these scenes. Yeah. Just incredible. Just incredible. Particularly George McKay. Yeah. With some of his scenes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was there was a few scenes in there that were that really caught me off guard and were surprising. Like again with spoilers and everything, when the uh when one of the gentlemen, one of the guys, this just German plane crashes. Yeah. One of the guys pulls the pilot out. Yep. And he's trying to save him. So he's like, Oh, go get That's, water. Yeah. And so Blake is the character. Yep. Yeah. So our, our main character goes off to get water and all of a sudden you turn around and hear the, the German pilot has You hear him like, No, no, stop, stop, you know. Yeah. And he stabs the guy. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, okay, well he'll make it through this. Yeah. Nope. Well, <laughs> Like, it, I thought this was going to be about the two guys making it all right. the way to the end. He got taken out right away. Well, and that's the thing we should touch on. That character, Blake, um, played by Dean Charles Chapman, he, first off, little little nugget for you, did you recognize him at all? No. You didn't? Nope. Think back to Game of Thrones. Now do you recognize him at all? No. He was the final king before Cersei Lannister the one that jumps out his own window. Oh, okay. That's him. So he he's had some some screen time. Tom and Baratheon. Yeah, yeah. But his brother, this this group they're trying to stop, the sixteen hundred men, that the, these two Schofield and Blake go on a mission to save. His brother is among that sixteen hundred. Yep. So he's yeah, yeah. Got, so right away the pressure's on to get right, going. right, and now. I'm not going to get into the cinematic stuff just yet because we'll we'll touch on that as far as the, you mentioned how it it gives you that anxiety and tension. There's a yeah. reason for that. But that scene you're talking about, yeah, that's a total like you think everything's going well, but you see this is the this is the thing about this film. It's a war movie. It's set with the war and the plot as a mission for these soldiers. Mm-hmm. But it's really a story about these two guys. It's a journey. Yeah. And how Blake, the one that ends up dying, he's the he's the young hopeful, like thinks he's still gonna be home by Christmas, you know. He he's yep. he's all hopeful and mad at at Schofield because he threw away his essentially Medal of Honor, traded it for some wine and you know, doesn't understand why he would do that because people die for that and it's an honorable thing and he's trying to earn this medal. And he tries to save a member, you know, this this downed pilot and mm-hmm. gets killed for his trouble that scene as he's dying is brilliantly acted and just yep. heartbreaking yeah you know because yeah. they just came through they they make their way across the the no man's land you know where it's just been bombed to crap there's dead bodies and corpses all this stuff and find the german bunkers and they they find no one there and then a stupid rat sets off a tripwire, almost kills the two of them. They escape from that out the other side. Yep, just to run into this. Yeah, and then they finally they have this big, long conversation as it's kind of calm. It's it's a breath for, for you as a viewer. You need that because it was so tense that then they have this big conversation about the Medal of Honor and how he's hopeful, and you, you see the two where, you know, Schofield, the other guy, um, by, played by George McKay, is very much... You know, he, he's a seasoned yep. veteran, you know, and he, he knows, like, this is all crap. We're all going to yep. die here. There were a lot of breaks in the tension, which is good. Yeah. Um, and they, they took, they used that time very wisely. 
yeah. you know, to, to extend the story and add depth to the characters. Yeah. So once this guy, once the partner dies, of course, Oof. it's on. Yeah. Extra on. And now you can tell, I mean, the, the, the pressure mm-hmm. of, okay, I'm the last guy. Yeah, and now he's he's trying to use his own his own countrymen and his own you know yeah. fellow soldiers to get him there, and the the truck gets stuck in the mud, and he's got to he's just like we're going. It's just well, and it's <laughs> that's exactly, and that's an interesting thing. Like you talk about the pacing and, and how they do give you that that break. You know, you think about leading up to that was the tenseness of them leaving the trenches, crossing no man's land into the German bunker, almost dying. Then they kind of slow down. You get a breath. And then that plane, the whole plane scene, I mean, that thing is just beautifully visually shot. You know, yep. plane drops down. You think it's going to crash like standard, and it comes up from underneath the horizon to crash right into this barn. It's just visually stunning. But you get that massive emotional death scene, and then you think about how they filmed that truck scene. Everyone in that truck is talking nonstop stories and you know, we're going to do this and, oh, this is going on here and everything else. And our main character is just silent. He's sitting there with that, what do they he's call it? Focused. The, yeah, he, the thousand-yard stare where he's just like, look, my, my I don't want to say best friend, but, you know, my friend just died in my arms 10 minutes ago. And he's going through that emotion. He's processing that and trying to, let it go because he's still got a mission. He's got to try and save sixteen hundred men. He was channeling it, you know. Um, Some, yeah, help channel his focus. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of intensity, a lot mm-hmm. of intensity, especially when he gets into the town. There's some brilliantly shot stuff. Oof. I love. There's a scene in this big city that he's trying to get through, where these flares are going off as they're searching. Yes, which Dave knows some some fun trivia about these flares, but that was. Out of all the scenes in the entire movie, that was my favorite, like visually scene. Because mm-hmm. I don't normally think about visuals, but I was like, "Dang, that's freaking cool!" Right. Can you imagine being there? How scared it would be to just be seeing these walls of light looking for you? Right. Oh man. Well, it's just awesome. Think about the scene there, and it, it. I was yelling at the TV at that point as I was watching this. I was <laughs> like, "Shoot, yelling? just oh. shoot him! Don't wait." He comes out, and it's all dark, and there's he sees a guy across this courtyard. I mean, it's a it's kind of a wide shot. And he walks out there and he stops. He sees this guy coming towards him and it's just flames burning. It's like a literally the, the depiction of someone coming out of hell. And he's walking towards that. He has to get through town. And all of a sudden he notices that guy start coming, you know, moving faster towards him. And boom, he pulls up a gun and shoots. And our character then, the, the lead at that point, Schofield, because Blake is dead, he just takes off running. You know, and it's like, you should, why didn't you shoot when you first saw him? I was just yelling, like, just shoot, you know, but he didn't want to draw attention, I'm sure, or whatever else. But yep. it was that visual of this yeah. city on fire and this one small figure in the distance and silhouette just coming towards a camera and getting bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden the chase is on and they're ripping through that city. It is intense. Yep. It brings that's us, good. that's that's where he then hides in that building. And we get yep. another another moment to breathe where he finds the woman and the baby. Yep. And she tends to his wounds. Well, what happened there, I guess, to lead into that, that's one of that that's really the only main cut in this film, which we'll talk about the the cinematic uh, approach to this in a second, I guess. But that spot, the transition from daytime into nighttime, when he gets shot, almost killed on the stairs by the sniper. That's mm-hmm. 
the one transition in this film where they break their their continuous shot intentionally to transition from day to night. Yeah, one of the few. Yep. Um, I think overall, so just to, to kind of finish out the storyline a little bit. Mm-hmm. So when he finally makes it to the end and, oh. and gets, and he has to fight people to get to see the captain, right. the, the guy he was, the general or whoever he was going after. Yep, yep. Um, it was an awesome surprise to see Benedict Cumberbun in there. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbun. Yep. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> <laughs> Took a while. It was really. <laughs> I was I was looking down at my so, notes and I heard what you said and I'm like that ain't right. <laughs> I didn't get a reaction. Sorry, <laughs> man. So Colonel McKenzie's brilliantly played by Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Who basically tried to kick him out and they finally listened to him and then he tells him to f off. Right. It was just awesome. <laughs> like okay, he had no idea what he's gone through. He's like, oh, no, get out of here. Right. And and the and the end scene to me, I mean. The anxiety and the tension that was in this just from just from watching it, mm-hmm. he goes and just sits by a tree. I'm like, oh. as yeah. a viewer, I'm feeling that and like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> well, and that's let, let's that's a good place to kind of talk and, and get into the the visual aspect of this. I guess first off, some before we do that, some very big cameos in here. There is, yeah. as you mentioned, Benedict Cumberbatch at the end, the general or the the commanding officer in the beginning that gives them their orders is Colin Firth, the lobster himself. (laughs) No, it's not him. Get out. That's a different Colin, I think, isn't it? Farrell. Mm. Yeah, that's Colin Farrell. Colin Firth was the one in here. Um, (laughs) No, but it's still a big name. We get it all wrong. The King's Speech and everything. That right there is Colin Quinn. (laughs) Martha Quinn. No. Um, you know, some very big cameos, and a lot of people knocked this film because they were looking for a Saving Private Ryan type battle fest. This film, like I said, there is tension, there is action, but so much of it is more implied than it is. I mean, there are definitely action scenes like the fights, like you're talking about when he's running through that town and the tension as he's trying to kill the sniper. You know, some of those things were just intense. Oh, yeah, the sniper. I like that one. That was cool. And he's, like, sneaking up the stairs. He sneaks in the room and shoots at the same time and gets, you know, his helmet saves him. Knocks him out cold. He flips backwards down the stairs, and that's our cut, you know, into nighttime. But it people knock this film saying it was a visual masterpiece but a super boring film. I I very much disagree because I think the heart of this movie is not about the war it's about the spirit of just what people will go through you know they they get knocked down and they just you know like that uh what's the word i'm thinking of not not stick to but like uh dogged determination you know resolute they believe what they're going to do and they just have to do it you know they'll they'll do whatever they can to do the right thing and yep. that's really the character arc. And, you know, what's so beautiful about that ending as he sits down at the tree, if you think about it, that's how the film starts. It's a perfect yep, exactly. bookend where this film starts and in, in Schofield and Blake are sleeping in a field. And Schofield is sitting against a tree sleeping, and that's how he ends. He makes this long walk out to this tree in the middle of a field and sits down. And then we realize at the end of this, he pulls out the photos of his wife and kids and on the back says, you know, come home to us or something like that. 
And you realize just how much he's gone through knowing that all he wants to do is get home to his wife and kids safe. And he still put himself in harm's way like that. Just a, cool. Yeah. Beautiful so, character thing. Fun fact. Uh, a lot of the extras had been using that tree. Mm-hmm. Like they would walk off and they would pee on that tree. <laughs> and when they saw him go sit down, they were like, uh, is he just sitting in our pee? That's a real oh, fact. No. Yeah, they didn't know that that was the tree that was going to get used for that scene. And they're like, oh, we've been peeing there all day. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he poor just goes dude. And sits down in it. That's poor uh, dude. Talk about so, ruining the moment. Right. So let's let's talk a little of the, the geeky, nerdy cinematography side of things, shall okay. we? That's going to be mostly you, but. Go for it. Well, you're gonna you're gonna know about some of this now. the The thing that was so unique about this film, it's not the only film that's ever done it, but one that's pulled it off maybe better than any other film is that they they filmed this in a way, one camera, one lens, to make it appear as if it's just one long shot, meaning mm-hmm. the camera never cuts off of your main characters; it just follows them, and. It's so unique because when you watch any, you know, go, you mentioned Infinity War earlier, Avengers Infinity War, pull that Mm -hmm. up, watch the first 15 minutes of it and count how many times the camera shifts perspective. No. About every three to five seconds or less, that camera's jumping from one thing to the next. And that's how films usually are. They're cut (laughs) together very specifically and you don't even notice it. It's fluid. What was it that we were talking about that was like 15 cuts for a guy jumping over a fence? Oh, yeah. What is that? that? Oh, man. I I know what you're talking about. I can't remember which film that is. But that's what what 1917 and Roger Deakins and Sam Mendes did is they, they filmed this very meticulously to to literally make it look like it's a real-time happening. Obviously, it's not because this starts in the you know morning of one day and goes through that day and into the next day. Yeah. But, you know, and this movie's only just under two hours long. And so it's not obviously real time, but it feels like you're with these guys real time. It, the camera follows them. And like you said, it starts with them at the tree. They get told they have to go report to the officer, commanding officer. They do that. They get their orders. And off they go, cameras following them through the trench, circling as they're trying to get through traffic and, you know, running into obstacles in the trench just to get going. And then it, it takes you out into no man's land. And it's, it's through the composition, through the careful framing and the way that they follow this action that you get such a sense of the, the miserable conditions of war. You know, you've got rotting horses. At one point, Schofield, the main character, right after having his hand just sliced open by a barbed wire fence, mm-hmm. he slips oh. and falls, and his hand <laughs> goes right through the stomach, rotting stomach of a dead corpse. Yep. I'm like, where's the Purell? Yeah. And, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And you just, I mean, the mud in the feel, the angles. And it was so well done that, it, it you know, like I said, it follows these characters right through until that sniper battle. And when he gets shot and knocked out, you don't know if he's dead. You assume he's alive because the movie's not done yet. But he falls down those stairs, and that's it, everything kind of goes dark at that point, and they cut to him waking up on the stairs. Yep, an actual cut. Right. As and opposed to Taken 3, right. where it, it was 15 camera cuts in six Taken seconds three. to show yes, that's Liam Neeson <laughs> jumping over a fence. That's what it was. You got to look it up. Brian Mills jumps a fence. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. 15 it, cuts. 
<laughs> there was yeah. more cuts in six seconds mm -hmm. than there was in this entire film. Right. I've yeah. got another fun fact for you, though. Yeah, hit it. Because another one of the things I really liked was the tracking shot at the very end um, where he is... So that they've started their push, and he's trying to get to the colonel. So oh, he's yeah. running full bore, and there's explosions going off, mm -hmm. and he's running into guys and falling over and getting up. It was not scripted for him to run into people. Those were all accidents, and he just kept trucking. Right. He kept running into people and getting knocked over. Yeah. It was awesome. That well, was real. And what was so cool about that scene is that normally when you get that heroic sprint at the end, he's going to be running, charging into enemy lines to save the day. He wasn't like he was. He was running perpendicular to that trench because he knew he could not get through that trench fast enough, yep. only to jump back into his own men. He was trying to run to safety, and oh man, it was just like explosions, and you felt that he was given everything he had. By that point, he was exhausted, and yep. it was just all he could do to get there. And yeah, that was a that was a brilliantly shot scene. Now, I know you and I were talking offline. You didn't really notice any of the the actual cuts that they made, that they were hidden very well. No, I, I normally don't notice cuts at all. Okay. I mean, knowing that this movie was supposed to be one continual shot, I did mm -hmm. kind of look for it. Yep. And they kept, I mean, they did a brilliant job. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, these were I, so well hidden. So any of the cuts, I was more into the story. Right. Like, you know, that's me. Well, you know, the the one we talked about, I mean, just there's two examples I think of when it comes to the cuts that jumped out at me where I was like, oh my God, this is, no one noticed. You know, some people will if you're into this kind of thing. But for me, it was like the, those are spots. There was a cut. There was a cut where you just see it and it's so well done that you don't even feel it. One was they were coming across no man's land. And they kind of had pulled back. They were showing them. They were a little wider shot. The, the two characters were a little further out. And they were just going, and there was a mound of debris and mud and everything else, you know, dead bodies, whatever it was. And you saw our characters walking on the other side of that mound, and the camera was tracking them. Mm -hmm. And the camera tracks through it, and then you see the, you know, kind of the, the foreground of this mound of whatever, Still blurry and it tracks through and you see them come out the other side, but the camera's in a slightly different position. You know, it's a little closer to them. And that's one of those points where it looks like the camera's still just following them, but they just mm -hmm. use that distraction of that mound as a place where they could cut that scene, start another one. Yep. The, the one that really stood out to me the most, and it's so well done. And from from what I understand in, in reading and listening to interviews with Roger Deakins, and Sam Mendes, this is one of the shots that was the most difficult to pull off was that waterfall scene. Sure. Where Schofield, you know, is trying to cross the bridge to get to the final group of guys. He leaves that town, is, is getting shot at and everything else. He jumps in the river to escape, almost drowns, realizes he made a mistake because, boom, there he goes. Before you even have time to register, like he notices it, and two seconds later, boom, he slides down and falls down this massive waterfall. And it's yeah. shot from directly above as you see him go over, and he's tiny in that waterfall. Like he just right over, you know, and he's just a little yeah. blip. And the camera is just holding on all that swirling water down below. And you're expecting to see this little blip pop up somewhere. And all of a sudden, he pops up, but you're right on top of him. 
And it was such a brilliant cut because you don't even notice the camera moving. You don't notice the zoom. You don't notice the change in position. It's just that swirling water down there. And they kept it somehow uh, massive it's continuity. Yeah, I don't know how they did it, but they kept the continuity so good that they were able to, without you even noticing it, move that camera into a position where when he resurfaced, you were right next to him. And it was so well done. Nice. And then, yeah, the like, way, like I said when we talked, I didn't even notice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing about this, like, uh, you know, I kind of want to, I should blast through a couple of the notes I've actually written, but storytelling wise, that scene, when you come out of that scene and he's scrambling over the dead bodies just trying to get to the bank, and he's like, oh my God, it's Don. They were going to march at Don. I failed. He feels defeated. But he starts up the bank anyways. He knows this way is where the soldiers were supposed to be. Maybe he can get there in time. And he's just this long, slow, you know, climb up the bank of this river into the forest. And you start hearing this singing and what looks to be figures. And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. And he just keeps walking. The singing is kind of fading in and out because of the way the wind is changing. I thought maybe it was in his brain. Well, yeah, and he, he comes across this group of soldiers and everyone's sitting quiet and there's one soldier just singing this super sad, mournful song. And he just kind of collapses at a tree and listens and doesn't realize that he's reached the people he was trying to reach. Yep. And this is another one of those moments where after the, the tense exit from the town, the river escape, the waterfall, all of that... You need that downtime, that peaceful moment in order to have the energy to really get through and, and pull it through for the end of this film and stay emotionally invested in it. Because otherwise, if you think about it, if they didn't, they were so masterful in the way they brought this thing up and down. If they didn't bring those, those moments calm like that, you would have felt just fatigued. Like it wouldn't have had any impact anymore. Yeah. And it was just, it was so brilliant. There was uh character wise, I mean, obviously color grading, that kind of stuff was just spot on. It was amazing. But I mean, you see, like I said, the 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 bond of brotherhood that's developing with these two, but the scene when Blake is dying to kind of go back to that, he's asking him, Am I dying? You know, will will you write to yeah. my mom for me? Tell her I wasn't scared. And he tells his brother that at the end. He, he wasn't scared, you know, and he died saving my life and everything else. Um, just throwaway lines, too, like one of the one of the soldiers, I forget who it was, told him that if he manages to get his message across to this other general or whatever, make sure that there are witnesses when you tell him because some men just want the fight. Meaning that, and that's kind of what happened, yep. where had those other people not been there, this guy would have attacked anyways. He just wanted the fight, you know. It's it's wild, such a good film. It was good. Now it's not it's not my favorite. It's yeah. not the best movie I've ever seen. It was I mean visually stunning. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say fairly enjoyable. I mean, it's again it's not a war movie. No, which a lot of us when we when he's, hey nineteen seventeen and you look at the art right for it, you're thinking oh war movie. Yep. Um, having seen some of the previews and stuff, I mean those action scenes they were all in there, but this was this was different. Which mm-hmm. is what I think turns some people off if they're expecting a classic World War One story. Mm-hmm. This is a story about two guys and a goal, and getting yeah. to it. And um, 
So I, I, I recommend it. I think it was very, very well done. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. and we're kind of fawning here over the <laughs> yeah. I, visuals. I, so, yeah, but, and that's one of the things that is good. This movie won an Academy award for its visuals. Uh, if I recall anyways, uh, I know it was nominated now that I think of it, I can't remember if it won or not, but it, it's a visual feast for the eyes. And if you watch it and can get past your, you know, what you may think of, think you're getting into to start with, that's, you know, some kind of hardcore action war movie. It is not that it's a very character driven, um, story of brotherhood and, and self-sacrifice really. And if you follow it for that, I mean, I, I, my wife watches with me and she is not into war movies like this. And we got done and she was like, this is actually, I, I enjoyed that. That was good. Nice. Which says a lot. I, I kind of wish that they would have put the, the, the other guys, uh, Blake's death further in so that they could continue the character development on the brotherhood stuff. Uh-huh. You know, just because it was, <laughs> he got killed off pretty, I mean, they did a lot of character, they did some well, character building. Yeah. But- almost halfway into the movie, he gets killed off. Was it halfway? Only? Almost, yep. It felt like it was in the first third. Yeah, pretty close to that. Yeah, I'd say between there and the first half. Yeah, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I kind of wish that was longer. Like, really build it up, and get it, get it there at the end. But. I, I, on one hand, I agree, and at the same time, I wonder, like, if he doesn't die there, where does the story go to advance from that point? You know, until they get to the point where he's going to die. To me, I. I was shocked that he died that quickly, but at the same time, yeah. it made total sense because of what that spurs forward in the in the guy that was like, "This is stupid." He wanted to turn around and give up. He almost died already once, you know. And Blake saved his life, and I I kind of had a feeling something bad was going to happen because Blake on that speech leading into that little farmhouse village there, he mm-hmm. was so optimistic, you know, and and so like gung-ho like you've got to respect this and i can't wait to you know i want to earn mine and i want to do something heroic and you know i'm hoping that i can make a difference kind of a thing so hopeful and you just kind of had a feeling like oh man and when he's like schofield finds that milk from that cow and he's filling up his canteen (laughs) and you're i was kind of grossed out like how long has that been sitting there who knows but are there people around here because cows don't milk themselves what's going on here and it wasn't that it was the airplane, you know, and that, that dog fight, that was a pretty, pretty wild scene. And you just knew something was going to happen, but if he doesn't die there, I don't know how they can forward the story anymore. Oh, they would. I mean, they could have forwarded the story just by having him die later too. Yeah. It, you know what I, I mean, I, don't, I think it would in, in any manner. It's just, yeah. I wanted more, a little more build up, but that's yeah. a very small complaint. I think it was a very good. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I enjoyed it. And what's it. the next movie we're going to watch? Well, this was your pick, and we talked about it ahead of time, actually, this time. So we're, yep. you know, we're prepared. And so, listeners, <laughs> I have to interject here a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Be prepared for more discussion on cinematics. <laughs> I hope you guys don't movie. mind. It's just, it's how how my brain is wired, and it's going even more further and further in that direction. It seems like every day when I watch stuff that I'm just, I love it. Like, I feel like a student of film, but we're going to watch. In uh, what July here is when we'll record it. Uh, the film The Revenant, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I've never seen it, Adam. You have. Yep. Twice. Twice you've seen it. So this will be yep. rewatch number three for you. 
and first time viewing for me. And and this, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know this this film was also shot pretty uniquely um, with a very wide angle lens, like 12 millimeter lens for the whole film, which from what I understand really brings you into the action and the it's story. starting. <laughs> Very intimately. Yeah, it's already starting. I just just a little bit I know of it, but I'm lens. excited for this one. This also had Tom Hardy and Dom Hall Gleason in it. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah so there's some big I can't cast. wait to hear what you think about it because I'm sure we're gonna be talking about some lighting and both of us might photography nerd out on it. Bit, <laughs> exactly. I, I I would just like I mean, this is an amazing story. Yeah. The Revenant because this is about um Hugh Glass. Yeah. A real life frontiersman in the eighteen hundreds. So yep. It's gonna be it's gonna be good discussion when that time comes. But for now, mm-hmm. I think it might be time for us to wrap it up. It is. We went a little long, but uh, a good geeky film like 1917 will do that. So <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it geeky. For me, it was. Man, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I was watching this thing. Sci-fi my, action film, 1917. I, I literally, as I'm watching this, you know, with my wife, I would. I wouldn't pause the movie, but I'd stop to write notes and be like, oh, my God, the way they shot that thing. Look at that scene. That's so beautiful. Man, look at the colors here, the composition. I was making comments and like gentlemen, that. Dave's turning into one of them. Yeah, I am. I He's definitely it. am. It's the it's the photo <laughs> side of me because I, I love yeah. that stuff and how it furthers and, and enhances the story. It's amazing. Sweet. Yeah. More to come on that. But, listeners, Thank you so much for listening. We will catch you next time. Have an awesome, safe week. Be kind to each other. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us, and come back next week for another cracking episode of The Digital Soup Podcast. This has been a Digital Soup production.